After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome once again, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, a special Skype edition of the weekly podcast as Jim Callis checks in from Chicago. I'm in a cloudy, rainy Durham. Jim, I think this is our second Skype podcast, but the first since I got an actual functioning computer. And I think it's going to sound a little bit better. So welcome back into the podcast. I'm glad to be here, John. I'm glad you have a functional computer as well. So. I'm, I'm glad. Uh, I'm also glad that it's draft time because uh, at first it just seems so daunting, Jim, when we get to the draft and you just, you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, my God, this is so much work. There's so many phone calls to do. But the more you make phone calls, at least I find, the more you make phone calls on these guys, the more fun it gets, the more names you're uncovering, the more players you get excited about. It's a, our draft preview is an awful lot of work, but it is one of the most fun things we do. I, I, I think it's the most fun event that we cover, uh, you know, the College World Series being aside is like, since you go, you, you don't really cover it anymore, but you go every year. I think as far as like this, the handbook, college preview issue, uh, futures game, a lot of our big stuff, I think the draft is the most fun thing we do. I agree with that totally, John. I think it's just because it's so uncertain. You you never really know how it's going to unfold. And, and I agree with you, too. I mean, I thought I made 60 calls on to, to guys in the Midwest about the draft, you know, mainly college coaches and recruiters at this point, and, and starting to hammer some scouts, too. So I'll probably hopefully have talked about 75 or 80 different people. And it's fun to get new names. And, you know, it's always interesting because some – you know, we know a lot about a lot of these guys coming in into this, but so much changes. You know, in the Midwest, for whatever reason, all my guys who seem to have kind of popped up and stood out in summer league, spring. So all these guys who uh, nine months ago looked like they'd be going, you know, pretty solid in the draft. A lot of them have regressed, but it's just interesting. I mean, you just fall on that one guys at small schools you never heard of that can play. You know, there's a shortstop at Texas State. He's not going to be like a, a first, you know, three or five round pick. But there's a five nine shortstop named Thomas Field, who apparently is a, is a very good shortstop, and, and probably goes in the sixth to tenth round. And I guess that's why I'm working at Baseball America because <laughs> that interests me. That this guy at Texas State I'd never heard of is going to be six to ten. Well, we do have a few technical issues going on right now, so I hope you can bear with us. We hope that Jim's connection clears up a little bit. But through that, you could hear. Uh, that Jim, uh, the reasons that we get excited and the reasons we work at Baseball America and I think what separates our draft coverage is we do get excited about those guys. I think last year, Jim, the guy I got most excited about was when I heard about this five foot eleven right-handed pitcher in Montana who was uh, throwing in the low 90s, and there was an unsubstantiated report he was throwing 96 miles an hour. I guess the part of it is that the, the, the junior college in Montana probably doesn't have a really good radar gun. So 
Uh, actually, wasn't a junior college. He was, a, he was at a Division II school, Montana State Billings. And then he was going to have some workouts for some clubs, and he hurt his knee. So he didn't get drafted. He didn't have the workouts. But he was, you know, I did talk to a scout this spring, excuse me, <clears throat> who said that, yeah, he wasn't throwing 96, but he was throwing low 90s. He was a guy. So it's always nice to have that kind of stuff uh, talked back to us. So you already heard Jim talking about one of his, one of his uh, kind of pop-up guys. I guess those are the guys actually that interest me more too, Jim, is the guys who are kind of coming off the radar a little bit to on the radar. Uh, but I'm doing the West. You're doing the Midwest. And then closer to the draft, you really focus on that first-round projection that we always do. And I do love that 2005 is the best draft in recent memory, and that happens to be the one where you nailed the first 18 picks in order um, in our draft, uh, our mock first-round draft right before it started. Um, I have some pop-up guys in the West. Uh, you talked about already one of them in the Midwest. Maybe who are the risers in the Midwest, and who are a couple, maybe being two guys who've really improved their draft stock the most this spring, and maybe two guys who have uh, lost some momentum this spring in the, in the Midwest. Well, I think the guy who's probably the who's come the farthest, and, and it's interesting because Texas really, you know, is usually the strongest state by far in my region. And this year, by its own standards, it's down. I don't know if there's a lock first round pick coming out of the whole state, but but the guy who's probably come up the most is a pitcher named Andrew Kashner, right-handed reliever out of Texas Christian, who was a junior college last year. And guys like the arm; it was a low nineties arm. You know, inconsistent breaking ball, command. You know, he was just very, very raw, and that's, you know, why I think he was drafting follow the Rangers. They didn't sign him. The Cubs took him late, didn't sign him. And anyway, he's, he's in the bullpen now this year at TCU, and he's been pitching 97 to 99 with a lot of run on the fastball and the mid-80s slider, and I think he's the state's best bet to go in the first round. So he's probably the the guy in my region who's, who's come up the most maybe from the start of the year. And, you know, the other guy who who's kind of interesting – and he'll, he'll definitely be drafted about 17 rounds higher than he was taken last year. Uh, Chris Carpenter out of Kent State was a high pick out of high school. He's had a couple, you know, arm injuries at Kent State, some surgeries. Um, and he's a guy who's come out this year, and he's been throwing. He's, he's been inconsistent sometimes with his location. He's been hit a couple times. But I mean, he's a guy who's 93, 97 when he's on. He's got a sharp curve when he's on, a good, good changeup, throwing strikes. He's been healthy. He's maintained the velocity even when he hasn't had dominance on the mound and it'll be interesting to see where he goes just because there are teams because of medical history have backed off of him you know i'd say maybe if i had to guess you know half the teams probably wouldn't take him just because of the medical history i think a lot of times your your team doctors get conservative you know they don't want to recommend a guy and then have him go down and and lose their gig as a team doctor but I, i think 10 or 15 teams will consider taking chris carpenter in the first round or the sandwich round and, uh, you know, he was 19th-round pick of the Yankees last year, but he just wasn't consistent enough or, or quite healthy enough for the Yankees to, to throw a lot of money at. And the best part about Chris Carpenter, I think, this year is that he's actually finally performing somewhat. Uh, it's not, you know, off the charts, but he does, have, he does have the best ERA on that team. He does have 66 strikeouts and 60 innings. I mean, he's only given up one home run. So for all that tantalizing talent, you're finally seeing – uh, some for me, a guy with that kind of arm who's a seventh round pick out of high school. I just want to see that guy perform when he's in college. He doesn't have to blow people away all the time, but you just have to see some semblance of performance uh, for me to get excited about a guy like that. There are a couple pop up guys in the West as well as there always are. Um, depends on uh, who I talk to most recently, depending on how excited I get. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a t- Tyler Sample guy. I love Colorado pitchers. Uh, the track record of Colorado pitchers, Jim, as you know, is pretty good going back uh, 
in the say the last fifteen years, Scott Ellerton was what a supplemental in nineteen ninety four. He got to the big leagues as a high school pitcher. Uh, he's a big donkey guy, six seven. Uh, you know, Brad Lidge, uh, Cherry Creek high guy who was drafted out of Notre Dame. Uh, Luke Hochaver's in that mix. Obviously, the best one is Roy Halladay, nineteen ninety five, Arveda High School. Uh, David Ardsma is a big leaguer who was a Colorado prep. Kyle Sleeth was a first-round pick who just retired this spring and had some injury issues. He didn't pan out. But there are a lot of these guys where you have a lot of track record. So if I'm drafting a high school kid out of Colorado, I look at that track record, and in the comparable span of time, the only position player who's really made it to the major leagues and made any impact at all is Josh Bard, who was also out of Cherry Creek High and went to Texas Tech uh, and has been a solid big league catcher a couple of years, you know, but mostly a backup. Uh, other guys like Darnell McDonald and Tag Bozide, and I guess Kevin, Kevin Kuzminoff is the other position player who's a Colorado prep product. But the track record is a lot longer for the pitchers. So I like Tyler Sample, a six foot seven, two hundred forty pound right hander who's touched some ninety threes and ninety fours, sitting in the low nineties with a plus knuckle curve breaking ball. And you're talking about a guy who's shown the ability to spin a breaking ball at altitude, Jim, and uh, and has a big body. That said, he had Tommy John surgery when he was a sophomore in high school. So uh, there's some questions on him, too. But uh, I'm, I'm kind of enamored with Tyler Sample right now, and uh, I haven't talked to a scout that doesn't like him yet. And then conversely, you have a guy whose stock I think is maybe falling a little bit is the other prep option in Colorado, Andy Burns, who signed to Kentucky. Uh, and I just talked to a cross-checker the other day. Uh, he was the third guy I've talked to about Burns, uh, who thinks that he's probably going to end up in college. Uh but the people, I, but one scout I talked to in Colorado says, oh no, he's the best position player to come out of here since Darnell McDonald got two plus million dollars from the Orioles back in 1997. So there's a real split camp on, on, on him. And uh, so those two Colorado high school guys, you, don't, you usually have one maybe in Colorado. And here you have two guys who both could be in the first three rounds, um, but one might just drop completely out of it. And then the other uh, kind of personal cheese ball for me, the guy that I'm really excited about, is Brett Lowry, because it's a down year in the Pacific Northwest. But Brett Lowry across the border over in British Columbia had two people tell me he's the best uh, hitter to come out of uh, Canada as a high school player anyway since uh, Justin Morneau back in the 1999 draft. And he's a right-handed hitter with now strength. And the best anecdote I can give you about Brett Lowry is that he had a couple base hits off big leaguers. And I'm not sure if this was an extended spring training or when the junior national team for Canada played in spring training, I'm trying to figure that part out, whether it was rehab or whether it was late spring training, like a uh, you know, backfields, like a B game. Uh, but apparently he got, uh, he got a couple of line drive doubles off of uh, Luke Hochaver and Kyle Davies when he was playing against the team of, uh, at Surprise in, in Royals camp. So this is a guy who's got now strength and a now bat, and that's what it takes for a Canadian high school player to get drafted in the first round. And Brett Lowry could go back of the first supplemental uh, I don't think there's any way he gets past the third round. The question with him is he is a right-handed bat, a right-right guy, and there's not a present position for Brett Lowry. So this is the kind of stuff that gets us uh, stoked during draft time, and that's why we work at Baseball America. You're listening to a special edition of a Baseball America podcast along with Jim Callis. I'm John Manuel. Jim, let's take a couple emails. First from Joe LaCates of Easton, Maryland, our steady email questioner to podcast at baseballamerica.com. That's the email address. Uh, Joe says, hypothetical and perhaps useless question, if you, Jim, were general manager of a team, not necessarily the Rays, but just a team, who would you take in the top spot in the draft? I guess what Joe's asking, Jim, is who is number one 
on the Jim Callis draft board? Because you do uh, have your own mock draft every year. Yeah, well, in a in a in a vacuum, it just you know, if I'm just lining guys up based only on talent, I think I'd still take Pedro Alvarez, John. I just I really believe in the bat. I'm not totally sold he can play third. I think he's got a chance to play third. I think defensively he kind of reminds me a lot of Pat Burrell where you're going to wind up moving the guy to the outfield or first base. I just think he's going to slow down. I don't think he's going to get the job done at third base, at least in the long term. Um, that said, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, each year is kind of different. Last year, you know, David Price was the number one guy, and I think he was clearly the number one guy for a lot of teams. Right. This year – I mean, I like Peter Alvarez, number one, and I'll let you tell me who, who you would take number one in a second. But I don't think, you know, the more we talk to people, you, you know, while I think some teams still have him number one, too, he's not clearly above a group of guys. It also includes Georgia High School shortstop Tim Beckham, you know, San Diego lefty Brian Mattis, uh, Missouri righty Aaron Crow. Uh, you probably throw, you know, Florida State's Buster Posey in that mix. And while Alvarez is very good, he's not head and shoulders above those guys. So then if you go back and, and I remove myself from the vacuum, and one, you know, Scott Boris tells me because he's advising uh, Pedro Alvarez that it's going to cost me $10 million. I might say, you know what, I like these other guys nearly as much. It's not worth paying the extra, you know, $5 million or whatever it's going to cost me to get him. And then two, I think the complicating factor is if you're the Devil Rays or the Rays, I, I just lost a dollar there, I guess. You did. Saying, you did. Um, if I'm the Rays, you don't draft for need when you're picking 1-1. I mean, you just don't do that. They didn't do it a couple years ago when they took Delman Young over Ricky Weeks when they had a bunch of outfielders at the time. But I don't know if, you know, you got Evan Longoria at third, so that makes Pedro a little redundant. You got Carlos Pena coming off a great year at first. I mean, you could possibly put Pedro Alvarez in the outfield. So, I mean, it's not like you have no place to get his bat in the lineup. But, uh, you know, Buster Posey, who seems to be the, the hot rumor at number one, uh, at least uh, the rumor du jour, you know, he, he fits a need better, and he's also a talented player. You also can never have too much pitching, so maybe a polished lefty with good stuff like Brian Mattis would, would fit the bill too. So I guess, you know, there's a rambling way of saying if I'm in a vacuum, I still think Pedro Alvarez is the most talented guy in the draft. But when you factor in the money and, and positional needs, you know, maybe he's not the number one guy for the race. I, I agree with you in most ways. I, I do think he's the top guy on the board just because he's been the best hitter in college baseball the previous two years, and now he's got the hand injury. It looks like he's getting hot. Uh, Aaron Fitt just blogged about him the other day uh, on the Baseball America College blog at BaseballAmerica.com about how Pedro's a homer, I think, on Tuesday. He's starting to really uh, get into a groove. His batting average is over 300. Um, and, and the thing is, for me, I'd still take him because, you know, I know Carlos Pena was awesome last year. It was 46 home runs, I think it was. But, you know, he's got 42 strikeouts and 115 at-bats already this year. And if you're an American League club and you have a guy like Pedro Alvarez, yeah, you do have Evan Longoria at third base, but you still have two other positions Alvarez can go, first base and DH. They're not getting rid of the DH rule anytime soon. I would still draft him because if he doesn't play third and you have still have Longoria and you have him locked up for this contract, you can still put Pedro Alvarez in there. And, I mean, I just... I think if you think he's a special bat, he should be one on your board. $15 million would be a little rich for him because I'm not convinced that his bat's so much better than Justin Smokes, not to mention someone you could get maybe in the second round like David Cooper or possibly Brett Wallace or possibly Ike Davis or uh, someone you could get in the third or fourth round like maybe Jeremy Hamilton from Wright State. I mean, I'm just, there's just so many first basemen or maybe Alan Dykstra in the third or fourth round. I mean, all those guys could be productive first basemen as well. Um, but to me, if you think Pedro Alvarez is the number one guy and you think he's going to be 
uh, impact middle of the lineup hitter. I, I think he's worth uh, at least what Jeff Clement got in 2005, at least what Matt Weeders got last year. I think he's in that category of player. So, so Joe, I think both uh, Jim and I are saying Pedro Alvarez. And uh, let's go to another question, Jim, at the podcast at baseballamerica.com inbox. I'm sure that'll get sponsored sometime soon. Um, Mac, or I'm sorry, Mike wants to know uh, about the he, he loves the BA podcast, but he had a question about what you think the Pirates may do with the second pick. I know a lot depends on what Tampa does, but the rumblings that the Pirates are also looking at Buster Posey. Um, I would personally like to see them take a guy with more power potential like Smoke or Alvarez. Uh, let's, so we could talk a little bit about Buster Posey. I guess I'm also wondering, Jim, it sounds like the Pirates, I think you wrote this in your chat the other day, the Pirates are not looking at pitching, it sounds like. They are focused on trying to find an impact bat. Um, well, and that's more informed speculation. You know, they've taken so many pitchers who have proceeded to get hurt uh, that I just think – and then pitching is the strength of their, their major league team compared to hitting that, I, you know, and again, it's not like there's a David Price who's, who's head and shoulders above everybody else that I just – you know, I haven't had the Pirates say, oh, definitely, we're not taking a pitcher. I just can't see them – Risking another guy who could get hurt, you know, I mean, with, you know, Van Benshoden and Bullington and Brad Lincoln, Sean right. Burnett, Bradley goes, you know, Clint Johnston. I mean, it just goes on and on, and they need hitters. So I, I think it's hard for me to envision that they would say, okay, we're taking Brian Mattis or Aaron Crow here. Uh, you know, because, again, those guys are good. I don't think they've separated themselves from that group of five or six players at the top of the draft. And so I, I think that, that, that it just makes too much sense for them to take a hitter for them to think otherwise. Yeah, and I agree with you. Another thing on that is that, uh, you know, Greg Smith is a scouting director. You know, I believe he was a scouting director for the Tigers from, what, 2000 to 2003? That about Even right? longer than that, I think it was a little bit longer run. I think he was there even going back to Eric Munson. Okay. Uh, before, I think it was like five, six, seven years he was scouting director. In well, that, that 2000 to 2003, not a great run of pitching luck for Greg Smith drafting early in the draft. Matt Wheatland, eighth overall in 2000. No thank you. Kenny Ball in 2001, really more of an issue of player development, I think, than the scouting part because they threw him 50 innings after uh, he had already thrown 150 at Rice. And Greg Smith was also the farm director at that time in Detroit. And then 2003, Kyle Sleeth. Uh, you know, the 2003 draft just was not a great year to look for a college pitcher at the top of the drafts. Kyle Sleeth and Tim Stauffer, neither of those guys have really uh, worked out, not to mention Brad Sullivan, who was another guy later in that first round. Uh, the guys who were supposed to be the guys that year were not guys. <laughs> so, you got to give credit for uh, 2004, though, John. With Justin Verlander, and he also found Zamaya too. You know, it was a nice scouting. So, oh yeah, I mean, no, it, he's not. Oh yeah, no, I know you can't. Score I know you're not bagging on him, but oh, it's just yeah. it, it's it's interesting because at the time he lost his job as scouting director, his drafts looked horrible. And I actually did a note last year that if you go back and look, I mean, he had Granderson in there. You know, he's obviously a position player, not a pitcher. Right. And he had a couple other guys. His, his drafts actually looked better, much like with Houston and David Lakey, who got fired. Um, and again, the thought was this guy's not drafting well. And, you know, David Lakey's last draft included Hunter Pence. And you go back and look at these guys' drafts four or five years later, and they look better than they were given credit for at the time. And it's, it's funny that way. You know, we do a lot of quickie draft analysis because that's what our readers want to see. But it's amazing how many times a draft that looks really good five years later does not look that impressive. Um, you know, I always, I, I always hearken back to the anecdote that when uh, Kevin Towers got hired as scouting director by the Padres, uh, Larry Lucchino said that one of the things, you know, it was kind of similar when Lucchino hired Epstein. You know, they went through some guys and didn't find the right fit. And Larry said, you know, they went through some candidates and they couldn't find a match. 
and then he picked up his Baseball America. Lucchino actually said this and saw that we'd rated the Padres as having the top draft, and he said, why not Kevin Towers? And that was a big reason. Well, you go back and look at that draft. I think that was a draft where they got like Ben Davis and Gabe Alvarez and Ryan Vandeweg. Mm-hmm. That draft looks not very impressive. So if, uh, <laughs> if Larry had been evaluating that draft three or four years later, uh, you know, Kevin Towers might not be GM of the Padres. So it's, it's just funny how sometimes, and I know I'm going on a tangent here, but sometimes the draft doesn't look good. You know, and five years later, you're like, that wasn't that bad. And then you know, another draft, you know, looks really good. And then five years later, you're thinking, ah, that's not that good. And I'll, I'll, if you'll indulge me for one more second, John. I'm, lo- I'm loving indulging this. This is great. 1989, and everybody who works with the Indians is still bitter about this. The uh, <laughs> Indians, first, I'm serious, the Indians had a first-round pick. And they took Calvin Murray, who wound up being a first-round pick out of Texas three years later. But he told everybody, he told the Bureau, and said, you know, I'm not going to sign out of high school. Well, the Indians apparently didn't get the message and took him 11th overall. And it wound up costing the scouting director, Chet Montgomery, his job. Well, okay, so they don't sign Calvin Murray at one. They don't have a second-round pick. Rest of the draft, his third-round pick is Jerry Depoto, big leaguer. Fourth-rounder, Jesse Levis, big leaguer. Fifth-round, recent, recent, recent embarrassment, Jesse Levis, unfortunately. He had a bad that's, tr- that's not Chet's fault. Fifth rounder, Alan Embry, big leaguer. Eighth rounder, Curtis Laskanik, big leaguer. Eleventh um, rounder was Kelly Stinnett, who I believe they signed as a draft and follow. Yep. Oh, their thirteenth rounder was a little-known kid out of Illinois Central Junior College named Jim Tomey. Oh, down in the seventeenth rounder, high school outfielder named Brian Giles. So in uh, the twenty-fifth round, they even signed Robert Person, who was a big leaguer. Uh, pretty good draft uh, <laughs> when it turned out of it, probably one of the top 10 or 15 drafts of all time, and yet he got fired because at the time it was this huge embarrassment that they took a guy in the first round that everybody apparently knew was not going to sign except for the Indians. And, and you know, if, if it's funny. If you talk to anybody who worked with the Indians at that time, they're still bitter about it, that, that Chet got this horrible rap for that pick. You know, they'll, they'll admit they made a mistake. They took Calvin Murray, and they, they, I guess they didn't have all the information. And, and that still, you know, despite blowing their first-round pick, and not having a second-round pick, they had one of the best drafts of all time. I mean, I, I love that story. I was hoping that's where you would go, and I love that story, and I just love that you're uh, ticking off those names. And I, you know, I remember 2002, uh, we, again, like you said, people want instant gratification. They want an instant analysis. At 2002 Blue Jays draft, when we did the fall draft report cards, well, Russ Adams, David Bush, guys like Justin Morrow and Chad Plinus and Jason Perry, all these guys are off to great starts in their pro career. And the Blue Jays had the new general manager, J.P. Ricciardi. That was a very different draft for them. They went very college-heavy. And, yeah, they did get a couple big leaguers out of that and a fringe big leaguer in Adam Peterson. Um, I think there's one later pick that might have worked out for them. But, uh, you know, at the time, we thought that was one of the better drafts that uh, any team had. And I think we actually rated it as the best draft. And uh, today you'd look back. Again, now you have six years of hindsight. You'd say not so much. Really one guy. And David Bush, who's kind of a fringe average big leaguer. Um, he's still a disappointment. I keep expecting a little bit better things out of him, and he's never quite lived up to it. Uh, I, you're no, right. It's, it's just funny. Yeah, you were, you know, it's, I, mean, I think we always try to acknowledge, you know, we always have that caveat, you know, it's, real ter- it's too early to really know for sure. And, you know, even, you know, this year, you know, I, I think we'll do what we probably did last year where I gave, I think, a, a quick two or three cents analysis of each team, you know, what they did on the first day of the draft. But you really don't know until three, four years down the line. I mean, or even like, I mean, just to use an example, I mean, I'm sure you've gotten a thousand of these emails, as have I, and fa- chat questions. 
I mean, Phil Hughes, in my book, was a very good first-round pick. Right. But you mentioned Phil Hughes to a Yankees fan, and they're in panic mode. You know, why isn't this guy a Hall of Famer right off the get-go? And, you know, right now we're thinking, you know, like I said, you know, Yankees, that's a great first-round pick. But, you know, let's say Phil Hughes doesn't work out, which we won't really know for three or four more years. Then, you know, maybe that wasn't a very good pick. But you, you just really don't know for sure until these guys get, you know, their feet under him in the big leagues. It's just, uh, and that's that's the great thing about the draft, and that's one of the worst things about the draft because everybody does try to do the instant analysis, and uh, you know, there's a reason the the draft. But uh, I think that one of the great, the, the best thing about it is I do think that Baseball America has played a real part in making sure that people actually know that the draft really does matter. So uh, if you're listening to this podcast, obviously you think the draft matters, and obviously you're interested. And uh, we thank you for the emails. We thank you for the podcast. Jim and I do have more phone calls we have to make to try to. Finish the draft preview issue up, so we're going to wrap up the podcast. But, Jim, uh, a lot of fun. We'll do another one of these for sure before the draft. Hell, we'll probably we'll probably do one like at 1 in the morning the night after the draft <laughs> um, when it's all said and done or sometime uh, that week. So uh, we enjoy the Skype uh, chat, and we'll do it again real soon. Okay, thanks, Jeff. All right, thank you for the Baseball America podcast. For Jim Callis, I'm John Manuel. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.